Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I had a really good idea the other day, which was, hey, Georgia, if you look at a lot of these way too early top 25s that are coming out for the 2024 season, we are seeing Georgia pretty much unanimously number one in all of those. And this was even true before Nick Saban's retirement announcement. By the way, more on that here coming up in just a moment. Georgia right now is kind of thought of as the consensus way too early preseason number one team for 2024, which is obviously good news for Georgia fans. But there's also, I think, the need on the part of a lot of Georgia fans to look a little deeper at that and say, okay, well, if that is true, if Georgia is going to get back on top again and be national champions again for 2024, what needs to happen? What are the potential obstacles, in other words, standing in the way of all of that? And what we said was there may be like three big ones. Now, there are actually maybe nine or six or whatever else, but there were kind of three big ones we identified. And we had the idea the other day of, okay, over the course of the next three days, we're going to kind of walk through uh, one issue per day that perhaps stands in the way of Georgia and winning a national championship again in 2024 a big question that maybe needs to be answered in order for Georgia to be able to do that that's one of the things we sort of said we wanted to do and then we did one good day's worth of it and then you had the Nick Saban stuff and all this crazy you know things happen and therefore we're sort of off the rails in terms of delivering that series of content we sort of said we wanted to do so today I want to get back on the horse a little bit on this. So let me kind of reset a reminder, and then we'll sort of dive into this a little bit more deeply, which is, once again, Georgia, kind of right now, you're way too early number one team. But in order for that to be true, in order for Georgia to actually finish the season and finish this year on top, the way that it seemingly starts that way here in January, what are some issues that must be addressed? We said, I think it was Wednesday, days run together, we said on Wednesday Biggest thing may be the fact that while Georgia on paper may be the number one team, also on paper, Georgia appears to be playing the toughest schedule it's ever played, at least based on we how we understand it right now. The addition of a road trip to Texas to go along with what was already a traditional SEC schedule that also includes road game in Alabama, and even without Nick Saban coaching in that game, that game's still probably tough. Uh, obviously Ole Miss is better than we've perhaps been used to seeing them be based on how aggressive uh, Lane Kiffin has been in the transfer portal. More on that also in a moment later on in the show. That biggest issue facing Georgia is tough schedule. you got to be careful about that. Perhaps the toughest that Georgia's ever played. Now, the caveat to that was if you look at the other so-called championship contenders, almost all of them are also playing in tougher schedules as well because almost all of them are in either the SEC and the Big Ten, and both those leagues are expanded next year so tougher schedule for Georgia that's an obstacle but almost anybody else who would think of themselves as a true and legitimate championship contender they're also playing tougher schedules as well so that was issue number one. Second issue facing Georgia as it tries to finish the year where it seemingly starts it as the number one team in the country and this is no surprise to you it's how do you replace Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers we have said is one of the best players in the history of the Georgia football program. He may be legitimately speaking the best tight end in the history of the sport a player that transcended the tight end position at Georgia because he essentially became the most the most valuable pass catcher of all in a way that you know tight ends typically don't that this was Georgia's most effective and most valuable offensive weapon for each of the last three years that Brock Bowers has been on the program so when you start to think about 
a potential national champion in 2024 thinking about that without a guy like Bowers who's essentially been the most productive pass catcher arguably in the history of this program that is no easy feat and to kind of bolster this point a little more this week uh, Georgia coach Kirby Smart made an appearance on the radio program called the Steakhouse uh, with Steak Shapiro our buddy Rusty Manziel on 92-9 the game and one of the things that uh, Kirby got into with the guys on 92-9 was the value of Brock Bowers and kind of the first time he saw Bowers and the way that he kind of recognized him and sort of the the player that he has grown into being at Georgia and the way he'll be remembered at Georgia so if I'm telling you that one of the biggest issues facing Georgia as it tries to be number one to end the 2024 season is how do you replace Brock Bowers? The stories that Kirby Smart says of watching Bowers grow as a Georgia player from when he first met him to what he ultimately became, this tells you everything you need to know about just truly how difficult that's going to be. Uh, this is what Kirby Smart said about that earlier this week. It was special. It was uh, a, a, every day you knew you were going to get uh, – uh, an A in effort and, and toughness and team. It's just so like you almost take it for granted. You know, it's like you know you don't know what you got till it's gone. Because he's he he never was an issue. He never had much to say. He never uh, complained. He never griped. He was just a solid worker that just worked. And he was um, from day one. He made plays, and we knew the spring that he arrived. Wow. You know, we, we we got us a player here. This guy's a, a really good one. Then he goes to the Clemson game and plays really well and uh, made significant plays and then just took off his freshman year and never looked back. And I think the, the mark he'll leave is um, the way he went about things, whether it was injury and being in a treatment every morning before the coaching staff or whether it was staying out and running extra uh, and, and, and or catching a pass in practice and going 75 yards. I mean, It'll be stuff of legend that people around here talk a long time about because he was just different. He was just different. Stuff of legend indeed, and Bowers truly is different, special. We all understand that. And when you hear Kirby Smart, who is not given to hyperbole, you know, Kirby Smart's not exactly running around here throwing around these, you know, uh, cool quotes and and, uh, just effusive compliments. That's not necessarily Smart's deal. But when you're as good as Bowers is, of course, Kirby Smart's going to say those kinds of things. And there is an intangible value to Brock Bowers in a Georgia uniform that we'll all, you know, appreciate forever. But when it comes to Georgia in 2024, the team now playing for the first time without Brock Bowers, it's got to be more about the tangible part. I've referenced this before, but you know how like if you've watched the movie Moneyball, which is based on the book written by Michael Lewis, when they're talking about replacing the Oakland Athletics, the, the star players they lost because they were, you know, basically just couldn't afford to keep them, the Johnny Damons and the Jason Giambis and the guys like that. The one thing that Brad Pitt's character played by Billy, uh, Billy Bean's character played by Brad Pitt, uh, you know, says is, hey, what we're really doing is we're replacing the statistics those players put up. And in a roundabout way, that's true. Brock Bowers, if you spend any time around him, if you just watched him go about his business, Bowers emotionally was about so much more than the numbers he put up. But for Georgia in 2024, when you talk about obstacles potentially standing in the way of a Georgia national championship, what you were really talking about is, okay, statistical production that Bowers provided has to be replaced by somebody. If you want to look at this year, this is obviously a partial season. Bowers was, of course, hurt, but he still had 714 yards, still had six touchdowns. Last year in 2022, an offense that led the nation, I'm talking in 2022, in uh, plays of 20 or more yards, had 98 plays of 20 or more yards. 
Bowers was a major contributor to that. He had 942 yards in the season. Georgia's only had, in the 100-and-whatever year history of the program, Georgia's only had 1,000-yard receiver. That's obviously our buddy Terrence Edwards. But in 2022, Bowers came oh so close to being the second that's how valuable he was and as a freshman in 2021 ironically maybe the best season he ever had at Georgia and he wasn't even a finalist for the John Mackey award that year but uh, obviously we digress Uh, in that particular year you're talking about 882 yards and 13 total touchdowns so that's the issue facing Georgia right now which is how do you replace those stats now what you're not going to say on this is Oscar Delp go get him go go out there and get you 900 yards receiving no disrespect to Delp he's obviously a very good player but in terms of one person matching the statistical profile that Bowers has put up that'd be unfair to anyone even someone like Oscar Delp who we feel is a very gifted player will we see more of Delp will he have larger numbers moving forward obviously we expect that he will is it fair to say and now you get to be and you have to be as good as Brock Bowers that's not a very fair request to make of anyone so more of Delp will help will help fill some of that void but also some of that's got to be more of the wide receiver room you know Bowers has really helped the overall profile of the Georgia wide receiver because for the most part Bowers has functioned like a wide receiver but this year in the absence of Bowers there is probably a little bit more responsibility put on that position group which means all the better then that Georgia has worked hard to add more transfers into a room that also brings back some veterans we would say like Dominic Lovett Rara Thomas least that's our uh, assumption here right now those guys are coming back but you know you know you have the Colby Young coming over from Miami you have London Humphreys who's had some success here in the SEC you know you add a guy like Michael Jackson who people say you know, you look at some of the highlights he put up in USC, perhaps small, you know, statistical profile overall, but a guy who comes in with a chance to really play and contribute. More of a guy like Anthony Evans this year. Perhaps Dylan Bell, the big step forward here for UGA. But one way or another, that group, somehow, some way, of wide receivers, uh, of more from the tight ends, young guys like Lawson Lucky perhaps stepping up, filling the statistical void that is left behind in Brock Bauer's absence that's a big deal for Georgia Kirby Smart calls him a legend that's not an inappropriate word to use he will be remembered as a UGA legend forever and in terms of matching what he provided a big challenge for Georgia here moving forward now let me shift gears and talk about something different for a moment and this is admittedly a little bit weird so I'll tell you a quick story I had a couple of minutes to kill yesterday and sometimes you know uh you're just kind of you know buying time until you kind of do the next thing and so i get my phone out and i wanted to go see uh i like to go to like opposing fan message boards sometimes just sort of see what people are talking about over there and um i wanted to see if florida state fans were freaking out about the possibility that mike norvell may go take the alabama job we're going to talk more about the alabama coaching rumors in a moment uh but in terms of norvell kind of showing up not as the prime candidate right now but at least a candidate for that job i was just kind of curious to see uh you know our, our florida state fans worked up about this the idea they might lose mike norvell so i went to one of their websites called Warchant, and i was just sort of seeing what their fans were kind of reacting to about all of this and then lo and behold when i get there uh they're not even worked up about the norvell thing as much as they're worked up about something completely different that perhaps you've now heard of which is that the ncaa has kind of uh i guess ruled against uh florida state based on do you remember a couple of years ago when amarius mims uh was considering transferring goes into the transfer portal took a pretty high profile visit 
to uh, Tallahassee. Do you remember this prior to the 2022 season? I'll show you this on the screen here. So it's being reported that an FSU booster off, this is coming from the AJC, offered uh, Amarius Mims a $15,000 a month NIL deal. Now, the NIL deal is not itself a uh, NCAA infraction, but I guess the issue here is, and y'all double-check me, make sure I got my facts right on this. The issue is is that a Florida State coach allegedly drove Mims' family to the NIL collective's office. Florida State's got a handful of collectives. Uh, this was one of the collectives involved there. And then the coach sort of drives them there, you know, uh, and then leaves. The coach is not a, apparently a part of the meeting, but it's not appropriate, according to the NCAA rules, for the coach and the NIL to have that connection with each other. And in the case of Mims, who was not yet a Florida State commit of any kind to make an NIL offer was also, I guess, by the letter of the law against NCAA rules. So Florida's gotten a penalty. The coach involved in particular, I guess, has gotten a couple years worth of a show cause type deal. So in a roundabout way, Florida State now dealing with a little bit of an NCAA issue. I don't think it's a huge deal necessarily, but it is news that has come out. And weirdly enough, it involves uh, a Marius Mims. And so anytime it involves a Georgia player like this, I think you're left to kind of look a little bit more deeply at this. And I have a couple of thoughts on this real quick, if you don't mind. So some of y'all have better memories than I do. But to me, in the entirety of the time we've had kind of NIL era and transfer portal era going on the same time, I would say perhaps some of y'all have better memories than I do. But I would say the most high profile visit I have seen a player take in the transfer portal slash NIL era may be Amarius Mims. Not to say that other big visits haven't taken place. Of course they have. But in terms of, you know, uh, a lot of video. Remember, Mims is walking to like the hotel lobby where he, was gonna, he and his family are going to be staying. There's all this video. They're rolling out the red carpet for him. This was a very big, very high profile visit. And lo and behold, boom, you get your wrist slapped. And now all of a sudden there's an NCAA infraction on the basis of this visit. I think if I'm connecting dots here, that might be part of the reason why a lot of this NIL stuff is always very secretive and very hush-hush. Nobody really knows what's going on. There's these wild rumors and national websites running with these very large numbers and very you know uh, rampant speculation about this and that. But no one's ever really very willing to go on the record about anything. And I think we have a pretty good idea as to why that is, or at least I think you have a possible suggestion as to why that might be. When you look at a situation like this where the MIMS visit gets a lot of attention and then before you know it, uh, the MIMS visit also ends up being the result of an NCAA infraction. But another point to make about this, you know, the one thing that we have kind of tried to maintain as our kind of point of view on a lot of things around here is, of course, NIL is real and it's a factor in what happens in college recruiting. And we think for the most part, that's a good thing. Players deserve to make a little bit of money off their name, image and likeness. We don't really have much of a problem with that. The one thing we do try to push back on because we don't believe that it's helpful uh, is the idea of, oh, my gosh, so-and-so got offered 17 gazillion dollars to come do whatever, you know, wherever. And in some situations, there may be some grain of truth to some of that. But for the most part, that's, we believe, exaggerated because it always benefits the exaggerator, whether it be the player that's supposedly worth that amount of money, the school that's supposedly capable of conjuring up that level of donation, the website that gets to report the really big number that everybody obviously looks and pays close attention to, that we've kind of always believed that, you know, there's just a lot of incentive to exaggerate. And so therefore, people respond to incentives. And so plenty of exaggeration goes on. 
this Amarius Mem story buried deep within the, what Florida State did that's supposedly an NCAA violation when you know, we, we kind of wonder why does the NCAA still exist, you know, uh, sort of buried deep within that. Would you mind showing the graphic on the screen one more time here? I, I think this is really interesting. Amarius Mims is a first-round level talent along the offensive line, and he almost left Georgia for Florida State for what's being reported as a $15,000 a month deal. Now, listen, that's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong here, but it's less than a welder makes. I mean, it's, it, we're not talking about like, you know, some like, you know, glitzy, glamorous lifestyle here that would cause Amarius Mims to perhaps leave and go to Florida State. Now, the flip side is maybe it wasn't enough money to, to, to get him to come. But to me, you know, this is sort of some real perhaps tangible evidence of what a real NIL deal looked like for a real deal, you know, uh, top flight level player, not millions of dollars, $15,000 a month, about welder money, uh, you know, thereabouts to, uh, you know, to get him to perhaps leave Georgia to come to Tallahassee. So in the midst of all of this, perhaps a little bit of sanity. Now, I know that's not a, uh, you know, easy thing to, to describe when you talk about sort of the last vestige of the NCAA throwing the book at uh, Florida State, who, by the way, gets this. Nobody says Ward won about whatever Michigan has done to win a national championship, but Florida State gets the book thrown at them, so to speak, on the heels of this Marius Mims deal. So kind of an odd story. It involves a uh, former Georgia, now former Georgia player. Uh, I thought it was worth a couple of minutes of our time to sort of try to make sense of exactly what the world looks like in this day and age, which clearly NIL is an inducement for transfer. But in terms of how you do it, what's fair, what's legal, it seems like we're still sort of sorting all that kind of stuff out. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Croker, and we're glad to have you with us. Whether you join us at 945 for our first in 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. That, by the way, is still live. Or during this portion of our program, which at least for now is pre-recorded, but we're doing it the morning of. So we're still very much in the moment with all of you. Uh, and uh, glad to have you with us for that. Of course, radio, Athens, Sports Radio 960, The Ref, podcast, wherever you find them, all across the Fruited Plain, a podcast platform. It's just really happy to have you with us here for it. And a big thanks to our friends at Kroger, who make it all possible for you here today. And I want to invite you to be a part of something really fun at Kroger this month. You've heard us talk about this now for years. And if you've got kids, I think this is a great way to share a wonderful experience with them. It's called Kroger Chef Junior. And if you check out the website, KrogerChefJunior.com, and of course the word junior is spelled out, J-U-N-I-O-R, KrogerChefJunior.com, you can find out about this guided kids cooking experience this month, making, I believe it's chicken salad. And so it's $7 per child. You get a chance to show up at the local Kroger participating uh, near you. And you can check out the website for uh, more on exactly where that is. Uh, And you make the food item, but you also kind of walk away with like a recipe uh, box holder and a spatula and, you know, an apron, chef's hat, some just really cool stuff to get your kids excited about the cooking experience. And sometimes when they're preparing their own food, they're a little bit more likely to eat something that's a little healthier for them. So that's always a nice thing. So check out KrogerChefJr.com. Another chance to make the chicken salad here this month. I believe that's next Saturday there on that. So check that out, KrogerChefJr.com for more on that. Now, transitioning here away from the stuff for the kids, this more for the adults around the doghouse, poured today by our friends at the Finish Long Drink. We're going to get Jeff Sintel, by the way, coming up in a moment. And we're going to talk to Jeff about how the Nick Saban retirement impacts Georgia recruiting. And y'all, oh my gosh, what a recruiting weekend Georgia has on tap. I know sometimes I'm a little bit guilty of the hyperbole, and perhaps this will prove to be too hyperbolic. But I believe there's a chance. The 2025 recruiting class might end up being the most important of the Kirby Smart era so far here at Georgia because of 
the value of the big men in state, line of scrimmage dominators in our own state uh, in this 2025 class, a chance for Georgia to really get rich on both offensive and defensive line without having to leave the state. I just think that's huge. And so many of those guys, we believe, according to Jeff Sintel's reporting, going to be in Athens this weekend. There's a big basketball game on tap. I'm assuming you'll see some of those around there. Uh, but just a big weekend for Georgia hosting some giant offensive and defensive linemen, elite prospects in state. Jeff's going to give us all the dish on that here coming up in a moment. But prior to that, so let's give the latest stuff on the uh, Nick Saban front here right now. Saban does retire. Aftermath unfolds. Let me start with Saban himself here. Uh, speaking with Reese Davis on ESPN, a lot of rumors out there. Frankly, some of these probably pretty reckless uh, about you know why it is that uh, Saban's chosen to retire and is there some sort of health thing going on? Well, Saban speaking with Reese Davis sort of shuts all that down and then also kind of talks about from his perspective, you know, why now felt like the right time for him. This is uh, Nick Saban with ESPN, uh, a video you can see in its entirety on the ESPN YouTube page. Take a look at this. There's no illness, Mr. Terry's fine. I'm fine. Um, but it was the can you sustain the season, you know, from just a, a mental grind standpoint. Um, and I, you know, when I was young, you know, I could work till two in the morning, get up at six and be there the next day and be full of energy and go for it. But when you get a little older, that gets a little tougher. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. What's an example of something that when you say it took a little more out of you, a little more grueling this year, what's an example of something that happened in the season? Um, you know, I think that my role um, was a little different this year. Um, I was more involved with defense, had to be more involved with the defense. Uh, that took a little more time, put a little more stress, you know, on me. Um, made me feel like maybe I wasn't doing as good a job as I needed to in other parts of our team. And um, I just have a high standard for how I do things. And if I can't, if I don't feel like I'm living up to that standard, I'm really disappointed. It makes all the sense in the world. I've kind of jokingly said before that, you know, my plan is in life to sort of never retire. And I kind of wondered if Nick Saban might also be one of those guys that never retired. But we know what a high standard that Nick Saban sets. I'm not being funny or anything right now. We know what a high standard Nick Saban sets for himself. And from an energy standpoint, if you don't feel like you're matching that, I'm guessing that probably is kind of an uncomfortable thing. Obviously, the Alabama team was still very good this year. They are, you know, much to our chagrin, the SEC champ. So clearly, he was coaching at a high enough level to have his team kind of playing at an elite level. But energy is kind of a finite resource that once it's gone, it doesn't easily replenish itself. And if you feel like you're kind of running a court low or more than that, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that's probably going to sort of stick out to you and sort of stick in your craw a little bit. It makes sense that Saban would say what he says there. And I think that's kind of the thing that I'm sure he's probably, I mean, we know based on what's been reported that he was like right up to the last minute trying to wonder if he really wanted to do this. And I don't know. That makes Saban feel very, very human to me. And there are plenty of times I love sort of taking my little jabs at Nick, you know, just because that's what, you know, fan bases kind of do back and forth with each other. But I think we can all relate to that in some form or fashion of, man, I really want to keep doing this, but I don't really do this the way that I used to. I can't do this the same way that I used to. And, I don't know. Uh, I think Nick Saban's charting a course here that we'll all eventually follow. And so I, I really – the words that he's using in relationship to all this, I just sort of find to be very, very meaningful. I think that's uh, really interesting. Now, as far as what's next for Alabama, the one thing we do know is 
is that there is a guy out there who we talked about all along yesterday's show as being a strong possibility to get the job or, or, or should say the best perhaps boss possible hire Alabama could make would be Oregon's Dan Lanning of course a former Georgia defensive coordinator and Lanning in a very very I think uh, engaging moment if you're an Oregon fan brings the team in to Eugene yesterday we'll show you this some of, some of this to you on the screen brings the team in to uh, Eugene obviously a lot of times these team meetings sort of end up being hey guys just want to let you know that uh you love being your coach but I'm going to go to Alabama but in this particular case Lanning sends a completely different message than that basically saying if you're worried about your coach leaving and going somewhere else you need to come here because I'm not going anywhere basically reaffirming his pledge uh to Oregon and we've seen Lanning be really strong in these sort of team meeting environments before think about you know prior to the game against Colorado this year where he talked about you know they're wanting to go viral we're wanting to win football games or whatever it was that he said Lanning's really good when the cameras are on him and specifically yesterday they put the camera on him for him to say that message that he you're scared that your coach is leaving come play for us because I am not going anywhere now there are two reactions I have to that a this would seem to be a shot across the bow at their Pacific Northwest rival Washington because Kalen DeBoer right now certainly seems like he could be very much uh, in line to get the Alabama job in fact for now he's sort of viewed to be the favorite I would also say this that for Alabama fans who sort of wondered well, is this a done deal in terms of the next head coach and Alabama's going to be able to act quickly in all of this and all of this is all sort of preordained and very well organized? The fact that Lanning gets a chance to leverage the Alabama opening to boost his status at Oregon prior to Alabama having any announcement to make, I think that sort of leads you to believe that while Alabama has a number of good options and it certainly seems almost certain unless it's Tommy Reese, it certainly seems Alabama's going to hire a really strong coach that keeps Alabama on very firm footing moving forward. They do not have this wrapped up and done because if you've got it wrapped up and done, you don't allow Lanning to go out and use you to boost himself the way that it happened yesterday. So if you want to get into the weeds on this and the timing of this, that sort of tells you everything you need to know is that Alabama is at least undone enough from a situation standpoint that Dan Lanning could get the boost and get over uh, on Alabama because of this job opening sort of tells you what you need to know there so the 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 chatter out there right now is that DeBoer the Washington coach who we would presume is probably a pretty good hire from a recruiting standpoint how he fits down here but from a coaching standpoint he's obviously a sharp coaching mind he appears to be the favorite right now and I know there was one of the betting sites that sort of briefly had Dabo Swinney as the betting favorite last night these betting lines for coaching hires are not predictive they're just not they're wild they're erratic you can't make large wagers on them so they are not reflective of the actual market uh sometimes I think they even move just for the attention uh so I would not use betting odds as a predictor for what's going to happen uh I I think even one of the betting houses even took odds off the board last night oh what does that mean probably not anything betting odds when it comes to individual decisions like this where there's actual inside information that someone could have they are not particularly predictive because betting houses know they're vulnerable to this therefore they just don't take big bets on something like this which means that you can't really glean much from that information so uh it sounds like DeBoer based on the best sources that are out there is probably the favorite it sounds like the fallback position here's Mike Norvell if you're a Southern college football fan, like Georgia fans, you may be left to wonder, well, how come Norvell's not, you know, bigger on the list than he is? The fact of the matter is, 
Mike Norvell is not really thought to be a great recruiter. You know, if you think about Florida State as being this recruiting power, but if you look at their blue chip ratio this year, the percentage of four, former four and five star players on the roster, uh, Florida State's percentage is only 35% here this year. That, you know, they commonly are near the top 10 in recruiting, but under Mike Norvell, they're not cracking like, say, top three, top five uh, very much here uh, lately. And that, I think, would be a problem for a guy like that at Alabama. You can be at Florida State and sort of coast on a sort of, you know, top 10 ish recruiting class because it's only the ACC. It's just a lesser league, as we've now had plenty of validation over the course of the last couple of months. You can't do that at Alabama, and that's why Mike Norvell, at least right now, is sort of a secondary candidate for that job. So that's what's out there. Sounds like it's uh, DeBoer. If you can't get DeBoer, they may go after Norvell. And if you can't get Norvell, they may go after uh, uh, Tommy Reese. There are a couple of coaches, apparently, that won't be considerations at all. And we'll talk more about those here later on in the program. For now, though, let's make that uh, <laughs> around the doghouse. How about that? Let's make that around the doghouse poured today by the finished long drink. Now, as I head towards a weekend, I am certainly looking forward to uh, all of the fun stuff that's going to be going on. I'm actually going to Athens tomorrow. I cannot wait to be in Athens for the Georgia-Tennessee basketball game. So fired up about this. I am so on the Georgia basketball bandwagon right now. Can't wait for that. Many of you getting ready to watch the game there as well. And as you do, a little finished long drink, a great way to enjoy your weekend, including the peach-flavored version of the finished long drink for a limited time right here in the Peach State. You can enjoy that or other varieties of the finished long drink there as well. Probably after all these years, the original is still my favorite. The blue can, the grapefruit flavor with the gin kick. You know, I love that. A long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. A long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. The truth is I should probably be drinking that these days, uh, given the sort of the post-Christmas hangover. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a ready-to-drink cocktail. Comes in a can, looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. Fun new kind of category of beverage when it comes to great taste. The finished long drink dominates this category from the flavor standpoint. So go to thelongdrink.com. You can find out where to pick some of up here today all right when before we're done with the program today there is a lot of stuff we still have yet to cover we'll talk a little bit about georgia playing tennessee and basketball uh there are a little bit more kind of coaching rumor stuff related to alabama that we've got to kind of touch on based on who we think is not getting the job also some news that has kind of fallen under the radar around the sec that really matters that kind of got absorbed and swallowed up by the whole nick saban cycle over the course of the last couple of days so all of that is yet to come but for now UG recruiting, massive, massive recruiting weekend. Major visitors in the Classic City this weekend. The guy who's got all of the intel on that is our buddy Jeff Sintel, and we'll talk to him right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, as I told you, we probably have as good a kickoff to what we think of as the 2025 recruiting cycle as you could ever get. Massive visitors on tap for this weekend. Jeff had a good story about that yesterday at DogNation.com. I promise we're going to get into that and get deep into it here in a moment. But prior to that, Jeff, the big news of the week has also been the uh, retirement of Nick Saban. We were just talking about that a moment ago and there are clearly recruiting reverberations for all of this we've already seen ryan williams decommit from alabama i don't believe that impacts georgia but it gives you an idea of the fact that people will now be looking around mason short 
has certainly intimated that could be a possibility for him, or at least he's not willing to confirm his, you know, status as an Alabama pledge. I think he even, you know, has been kind of out and about visiting, uh, you know, and planning Georgia visits even you know, before the Nick Saban retirement here. So the bottom line is, how much do you think Nick Saban's absence now as Alabama coach is going to impact recruiting for Georgia and just the, sort of the landscape around the SEC moving forward? Brandon, I guess it's a simple statement, but it's kind of just, it's kind of crazy to say it. Alabama is no longer on a level playing field recruiting with the University of Georgia. That's just the way you got to look at it. Um, you're right, Mason Short had been planning visits to Georgia. This visit was planned even with Saban still back at Alabama. He was going to visit Georgia and Alabama this month. Uh, that's the young man out of Evans High School in Metro Metro Augusta. He's been committed to Bama for quite some time, but he's continuing to take visits to Georgia, kind of like a good safety safety school, so to speak. And now uh, the retirement of Nick Saban. Here's another interesting story: Zion Grady, who is a you know one of the top four or five edge prospects in 2025. He's out of Charles Henderson Troy in Alabama. He was committed. He's been committed to Alabama as well. I don't think Georgia pushed as hard as they as they could have, or maybe needed to, to win that recruitment when he made his decision last year. But um, even on his social media, he was talking about somebody was bringing up the point like who should get the Alabama job, and there was uh, a picture of uh, Glenn Schumann on a tweet, and Zion Grady said that guy gets my vote. Um, so right now. As crazy as it is to say, Brandon, I mean, I don't even care if they hire a Washington head coach, they hire a Mark, Mike Norvell, they hire Tommy Reeves, I mean, DeBoer, anybody you want to say, that's not going to be Kirby Smart in Georgia because not only does Kirby Smart in Georgia recruit them harder than anybody, uh, Kirby Smart and Georgia have two national titles on the resume, and suddenly Georgia's no longer in a deficit in that number when it comes to the recruiting war. Yeah, not only that, you know, Kalen DeBoer, who I think is the favorite right now, that's a guy who would essentially have to introduce himself to everyone in the South. I obviously know him as a great coach, but I could not pick him out of a lineup, Jeff. I don't know what he looks like. So if I feel that way as someone who's kind of a college football obsessive, I know recruits and their families would feel that way. Really good coach, but totally anonymous to people down here in the South. And if the fallback position were to emerge, a guy like Mike Norvell, Jeff, we have got, you know, substantial proof here right now Mike Norvell's not a great recruiter you know Florida State's a good program Florida State had good talent a lot of that kind of came via the transfer portal but it's not like Norvell's racking up top three top five classes there in Tallahassee I think that's one of the things that probably keeps him as a secondary candidate for the Alabama job right now but you know the guys they're looking at since it's not going to be a Dan Lanning these are not black belt recruiters necessarily yeah, the other thing you got to think about there is, um, you know, with Norvell, yeah, he, he had that situation at FSU, largely built his talent off the transfer portal. Uh, DeBoer is a guy, Brent, I'm, I worked in that state for eight years. The first thing the Alabama coach has to be able to do is be more name value, be bigger, be larger than life than the Auburn coach. So the first order of business there for uh, DeBoer, if he becomes the head coach at Alabama, is not getting his name out nationally or trying to go head-to-head with Kirby Smart. It's going to be trying to go head-to-head with Q Freeze and win those battles. Because I'm telling you, that's the way the state works, especially when Saban's presence on the mountaintop of college football is no longer as the Alabama head coach. I mean, you keep looking around. I mean, Alabama uh, 
has always operated from a talent surplus. And if you bring in a head coach, and Brandon, they got a war chest of money. They can hire, you know, they can hire all the Jedi master recruiters they want to come in and supplement areas that the board might be deficient in. Not going to be the same as Kirby Smart. They're going to have to worry about winning a lot of those in-state battles first with Auburn. As Auburn's on the rise, you know, you saw the uptick in the last class with Cam Coleman and others. Um, I think that's going to be a really big challenge. And it's not just Georgia-Alabama anymore. All of a sudden, Bama is not so, so much surefire win against the likes of LSU anymore, against the likes of Texas anymore, against the likes of Clemson anymore and Ohio State. It really brings that program down to earth. No, I think that's right. One more thing on this topic, then I want to shift gears to what's going to happen for Georgia here this weekend. So by the letter of the rule, we know that with Nick Saban's retirement, Alabama players have 30 days to, to transfer if they want. But the impact on this, as I understand it is, is those players would also have to be accepted into a new school. And logistically, that seems pretty difficult, perhaps not impossible, but pretty difficult. It, it seems like the timing of the of the Nick Saban retirement, whether intentional or not, is going to play a pretty good bit of defense against Alabama players perhaps transferring right now if they were to want to. Is that the sense that you get on this as well, Jeff? Yeah, there's a bunch of things, Brandon. I, I, don't, I don't like some of the coverage out there that think that's already pointing to who's, who's, going to raid the, who's going to raid the Alabama roster and which, you know, who are the most desirable candidates at Alabama. A couple things you got to remember here, Brandon. Let's say Georgia – or any school is trying to get in uh, the next greatest number one alpha prospect ever, like one of those guys that everybody says six star. And you're trying to do this as fast as possible. Well, that takes synergy from your admission staff. That takes synergy from your athletics department. It takes synergy from the recruits themselves and the coaches. But it, it takes about max speed at least a week to get that done. And that's moving at, you know, light speed. You know, that's when your academic side of your university and your athletic side of your university are on the same, pay, same page and they're all kind of firing in the same direction. That's how quickly it takes. Number two is you got to remember Georgia's roster. I mean, Georgia, for instance, let's say four or four players on that Alabama roster immediately want to jump to Georgia. Well, all of a sudden you're kind of in roster jail right now already with Georgia bringing in so many NIL guys and, bringing in they still got six more high school recruits to bring in all of a sudden i'm going to tell you georgia does not have 15 you know 15 slots under the scholarship cap to get that done so it's very complicated it's complicated to get it done for the uh obviously for the spring semester but even in may man and even with that 30-day window you've got the thing where the SEC rule still states, you know, you have to get them in by a certain deadline, even with that 30-day rule, in order for a prospect to jump from one school to another inside the conference. So it's very complicated. And like I said, the main point for me is just the speed of getting them enrolled. And the second thing, Brandon, is you, you and I well know, I don't think Georgia's more than has more than two or three scholarships above that 85 yeah. as it is. So it's not like you're going to get wholesale changes without showing a lot of other current guys on your team the door uh that we're planning on coming back for next season all right in the time we have left i want to talk about this weekend because i'm really excited about it i have said jeff that and i know this is probably like you know typical like sort of carnival barker ba but 
I think there's a chance that the 2025 recruiting class is maybe the most important for Georgia since Kirby Smart has been at UGA. And I think part of that's just because we saw even with the Michigan National Championship, like line of scrimmage play is just really, really valuable in the sport. And the ability to keep replenishing great offensive and defensive lines is just the key differentiator between the very best and whatever the next group kind of is. It's also a time in which Georgia needs to kind of, I think, have more success in-state. Obviously, the K.J. Bolden uh, recruitment was a little bit of an example of a step in the right direction there on that. And so, lo and behold, line of scrimmage play is is where it's at. Those guys are in this state right now, the Juan Gastons and the Cortez Smiths and the, you know, uh, the, the you know, Elijah Griffin and Zane Walker. You're just like big-time offensive and defensive linemen in our state. Uh, a lot of those guys going to be on campus here this weekend. What a start to this 2025 recruiting class. A, do you agree with me about how important this cycle is going to be? And B, can you give us a little bit of a preview of how all of this kicks off with these guys, so many of them, on campus here this particular weekend? Yeah, first of all, you know, it gives Georgia the benefit of recruiting right now, kind of touching base on our first conversation, where Alabama doesn't have a head coach. Uh, that's unique recruiting soil, to say the least. Um, you know, Grady, for instance, he told me this week he won't go check out Georgia until February 3rd, uh, the young man we mentioned earlier. But I think the big thing, big, the big kind of bullet point numbers, is looks like eight out of the ten top highest rated recruits in the state of Georgia for the cycle are going to be there this weekend. That's pretty big. Uh, and, you know, the one thing that's a really good debatable point, because somebody would come at you, uh, you know, with your typical B.A. Arker type stuff, uh, Carnival B.A. Arker type stuff, would be like, hey, Georgia just signed the mother load six offensive linemen in the 2024 class. Well, here's the difference. The difference is, is that there's not a lot of David Sanders Juniors and Juan Gastons and Cortez Smiths um, that were floating around in 2024. I just rattled off three linemen right there that are all rated – Got to throw Josh Petty in there as well, Brandon out of Fellowship Christian. Those are all top, top five, top ten offensive linemen in the class. They're all outside of Sanders inside the state of Georgia. And that's why it's kind of so big. It's like the, the ceiling, the scouting ceiling on these guys are, are very high compared to, you know, Georgia getting a lot of, you know, top 200-ish offensive linemen like, you know, Marquez Easley, who we've heard very great things about. Uh, Nair Daniels, who's got a huge regimen to go through now that he's in Athens. Even Daniel Calhoun was just a, you know, a top 125 or so, 110 or so, 90 or so prospect coming out of Walton High. But you're talking about Petty, number 20 overall. You're talking about Sanders, number three overall. Gaston is number 91 overall. I mean, that's a way not only you're getting higher tiered prospects, but these are the guys that you know, the really good, good prospects in the, in, the, in the words of the latest Usher song, man. These are the guys that you look at and say, you don't say, hey, with three years of Georgia development, looks like an easy first rounder. Those are the guys you look at and say, these are the guys that might even be able to play right away their freshman year at Georgia. So um, that's big. You know, the linebacker is Aiden Walker. He told me, Brandon, it was huge because Mama, Mama Solomon, his mom is going to be there for the first time in almost a year. Okay. And he wants her to see why Georgia is one of his top schools. So really that was a way to say, all right, Georgia, bring it. Make mama happy. That's the first, that's the first last base you got to clear on the way to a commitment is make sure mom is happy with the decision as it's getting really close. Georgia 
Brandon, they prioritize Zayden Walker forever. He's the yeah. number one linebacker in the country, the number nine prospect overall. And you sit there and say, like, hey, man, Georgia with another top five-star linebacker. Is that like Brandon adding another five minutes onto his podcast? Well, you know what I mean? You know what I mean there? That's a yeah. lot. It's like me adding another three paragraphs to one of my stories. But you can never have enough Zayden Walkers. You can never have enough really great football players. You know, the, the good thing already, Brandon, is you got a lot of the Georgia players the current commitments that are going to be there, Ethan Barbour, uh, Zayden Walker, uh, a lot of their current commitments, yeah. Zayden Perlotti, uh, they're going to be there. They're already kind of firing in that right direction. Um, Barbour told me how important – this is a name I had to be sure to mention, Brandon, otherwise this was recruiting malpractice coverage on my part. Travis Smith Jr. is going to be there, Brandon. And I know you and I have talked about receivers until the cows come home. This is the receiver Georgia has to land in this class. It's a true X receiver. He's the highest rated receiver in the state. Uh, he's one of the highest rated receivers in the South now. Georgia was his first offer. Georgia and BMAC have made Georgia seem like home to him for a very long time. Georgia, I feel like my friend has to win the Travis Smith recruitment because those receivers at the high school level are so hard to get these days because they come with a heavy NIL price tag. And Georgia's really going to have to leverage those good feelings, the good fit, the development, the relationships with Smith in order to kind of combat some of those recruiting inducements out there for high school receivers. Barbour even told me, he said, man, he's a true X receiver. He said, when the ball's up in the air, I feel like he's an 80-20 type receiver, not a 50-50 receiver on a, on a jump ball. He feels like the offense with Smith is going to get the ball 80% of the time. And, you know, another cool recruiting story today, Brandon, is you see it popping up on social media this morning is that the Bulldog coaches are able to get out on the road today mm -hmm. uh, for the next few weekends until the dead period hits in February. And that means guys like Del McGee, Glenn Schumann, Todd Hartley, uh, Travion Scott, those guys are out on the road in high schools seeing prospects face-to-face -face before they welcome in a mother loaded, mother load of them on Saturday in Athens. Boy, that's awesome stuff, Jeff. There's so much more we could say, but I'm going to leave it there for now and invite people to check out your story at dognation.com where you go into detail about all of these names, a lot of five stars, a lot of very high four stars, the 2025 cycle, which has really been ongoing, but really kicks off the bang as far as people's full attention here this weekend. So we can't wait to follow all of that. Jeff, thank you so much for being here on this Friday. Thanks for getting up early to kind of record this part of it with us. And we'll look forward to seeing you back here very soon on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger again. Hey, Brandon, appreciate you, man. It feels like home again to be back on with you. Yes, sir, it does. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, so it's really amazing, and you can go see this on dognation.com. You know, I think the guy who may be the most important recruit out there of all right now for Georgia may be Elijah Griffin. He's expected to be there. Except for Cortez Smith out of uh, Parkview. He's going to be there. You start rolling through all of these names, just major, major guys. Juan Gaston, big deal for Georgia. Jontae Gilbert, four-star cornerback. Uh, that's a highly rated prospect. Uh, Zayden Walker, as Jeff said, you know, you just kind of roll through the list. What a list of names. I, I mentioned line of scrimmage guys, but it's also skill position wide receiver. You heard Jeff talking about that. Go to dognation.com. You can get all the details on the kickoff kind of unofficially this 2025 recruiting cycle because Georgia's been laying foundation on this for quite some time, but you can get more of those details there. Now for us, let us get ready to go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I've been telling you a lot about the Dog Nation cruise. I do have to kind of uh, 
sort of just acknowledge here for a moment. We are now only a mere matter of days away from me being on board Icon of the Seas. Icon of the Seas is now in Miami. A lot of you have seen that arrive there. You kind of shared that with me, which I love to see. What an experience is going to be. I can't wait to go enjoy that, come back and tell you all about it and really encourage you to have your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation experience here in 2024. Jessica Slater, travel agent, specially selected by Royal Caribbean for us to help with our Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. She'll tell you everything you need to know. And by the way, every Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is made better when you use a great travel agent to help you plan because they just know all the intricacies. They get a chance to do what I'm going to do, which is go and take these cruises and see all this stuff. And so they take that expertise, and bring it back to you and give you the most enjoyment while you're on the ship for the uh, you know the least amount of money possible. They really understand how to do that for you. So call Jessica, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Or email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com. And she can also tell you more details about our Dog Nation cruise coming up, royaldogs.com, for more on that. Been designing some stuff uh, here this week for the Dog Nation cruise. So it is showtime, go time for a lot on that all right couple of things here as we kind of go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and there is it's, it's been interesting to watch the news cycle be, be totally swallowed up by um the nick saban retirement news other things have perhaps been overlooked and i think one of the stories that this week we perhaps would have talked a little bit more about if not for the saban news is the fact that LSU very aggressive in hiring a new defensive line coach, taking Bo Davis away from Texas. Davis, of course, was at Alabama. A little bit of you know, a little bit of coloring outside the lines there at Alabama. <laughs> Perhaps got him in a little bit of trouble for a little while, but nobody disputes. Really good coach goes to Texas. And by the way, one of the stories for Texas this year was is that they were not pillow soft the way that Big Twelve teams typically have been, the way that some Texas teams typically have been. Texas showed a little bit more teeth on its defensive line than you know perhaps we had seen a lot of those teams in the long in the in the Lone Star State you know sometimes do and I think that Davis probably gets some credit for that well guess what this is Texas's welcome to the SEC moment you think you're strutting to this league on the heels of being in the college football playoff and essentially what's your first day in the league you've got LSU sort of plucking away uh your defensive line coach this is a big hire for brian kelly on the heels of spending big bucks to go out and steal missouri's uh defensive coordinator blake baker this is a signal that lsu wants to be taken seriously i believe and perhaps it's also a signal that any of those early rumors well maybe brian kelly's looking around maybe he's looking to leave doesn't seem like that's the case seem like he's firmly entrenched with the idea that LSU wants to remain competitive with the very top of the SEC. So attention on Texas coming to this league, some of that on Oklahoma, you know, Alabama, a lot of energy right now about who the new coach is going to be. LSU, for the most part, with the exception of Jane Daniels Heisman Trophy, played off the national radar this past season. They were very bad on defense, but spending big bucks in the hopes of getting better. And I'll also say this too, very much in keeping with the kind of history of Scott Woodward. Now, coordinator and position coach hires, are, are typically the purview of the head coach but the LSU mantra as long as Scott Woodward's been an athletic director is hey you spend big on proven names famous names big pizzazz and it's kind of funny to see the same way in which the LSU program has hired head coaches across a multitude of sports they also seem to now be doing when it comes to Brian Kelly looking at his coordinators and position coaches especially on the side of the ball where they need a lot of improvement I find that to be pretty interesting speaking of Texas they are now in the SEC and more chatter continuing here about 
what the future of Arch Manning is going to be. You perhaps have seen this. Quinn Ewers, as expected, uh, is coming back for 2024. That has kind of ignited the internet because the internet does not know what a lot of us are aware of because we we live in this world 24 hours a day. Y'all do too. And so most of us already knew that Quinn Ewers was coming back. A lot of the folks only found out about that this week. And so the question you know becomes of what's Arch Manning's future going to be? Well, A, Manning has sort of already known this too. It's not a very well-kept secret that Ewers was strongly considering returning. But that doesn't make this question irrelevant, I don't believe. Um I am very open to the possibility, A, Manning is, of course, staying at Texas. We know that. But I am pretty open to the possibility that Manning, if he's what he's cracked up to be, which we don't know if he is, but we're going to find out. Last year, Malik Murphy was the backup quarterback. Now that's Manning's role. But if he's what he's cracked up to be, given at times what we saw for Quinn Ewers, could Manning overtake Ewers this season? I think it's at least a possibility. I, I think it is at least a possibility. What I saw from Ewers against Alabama was the kind of guy who could be a special quarterback. What I saw against Washington from Quinn Ewers was the kind of guy who I thought stopped short of being special. And in the first year of the SEC, playing much tougher competition, you probably need to be special at quarterback if you can be. And if Ewers is not, could I see Arch Manning perhaps emerging during the year, even with Ewers returning? It is at least worth watching. One more story worth watching here. So Ole Miss has acted quickly to bring a transfer running back, kind of a replacement for Quinshawn Judkins. And this happening on the day that the Nick Saban retirement was announced. What we had been saying was, is that Ole Miss had been so aggressive during the transfer portal period that it certainly was seeming as if Lane Kiffin knew he was not going to be in Tuscaloosa next year because you probably don't work this hard to bring in transfer players if you think you're going to take a different job. Now, I, I guess I wouldn't put anything past Kiffin, but certainly the context clues led you to believe that Kiffin was expecting to remain in Oxford and perhaps gearing up what he thinks can be a big season. Well, we now have additional reporting, Greg McElroy, among others, saying there was a 0% chance that Lane Kiffin could have gotten the Alabama job that he burned too many bridges on his way out the door there I don't find that surprising I can't confirm that's true but I don't find that to be surprising and you know perhaps this is Lane Kiffin now saying okay well I can't get the Alabama job but I do want to show myself to be the kind of coach that can sort of be thought of as in the top tier because up to this point in time Lane Kiffin has been very good at getting jobs but I don't know that there's been any spot where you can say that for sure Lane Kiffin has necessarily done a good job but this past year, credit to Ole Miss, they were 10-2. and two. This year, they're going to essentially be a preseason top-10 team. They're going to have the kind of transfer talent, much like Florida State had a year ago, that gives them a chance to, to really make some noise. And this could be the kind of year where, even if he's not truly a candidate for the Alabama job, that Lane Kiffin can show himself to perhaps deserve to be in that top tier of coaches. We'll follow this, and we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, one quick thing before we say goodbye to you here today. I joked about this a little earlier. I am 100% on the bandwagon right now for Georgia basketball. Another win against Arkansas. They had a long winning streak. They've won twice in the SEC. I mean, you're essentially about to start seeing Georgia mentioned in the field for the NCAA tournament. And with a win against Tennessee on Saturday, who knows what else could be out there? Perhaps top 25 ranking, I think, could be on tap here. No no, no easy feat to beat, to beat the Vols. They do come in ranked number five, awful loss, but nonetheless still ranked uh, number five in the country. I expect Stegman Coliseum to be pretty loud on Saturday. I think it's going to be fun. I expect the Georgia recruits, who we mentioned a moment ago, 
to also be in the building too it's gonna be a pretty crazy scene in athens here this weekend i'm really excited about it and i love the way that mike white has got uh you know his team playing basketball the way that it is right now this is a lot of fun we're a football show here because that's what you want this is not a hobby we're doing this for a living y'all want football talk that's what we give you but that doesn't mean we can't also pay attention to this basketball team and right now georgia basketball is very much worth your attention so as we wrap up here today and get ready to wrap up our week we will do so with a uh, bit of a golden shoe. We'll throw this up here on the screen. Our buddy Frankie Fibonacci, who we were going to try to see in Miami. Frankie uh, lives down in South Florida, but we couldn't quite time this up. Uh, but uh, Frankie shared this for the golden shoe. He says, uh, hashtag go dogs, hashtag golden shoe. And he shares a post from somebody else who, uh, on the subject of Alabama, you know, losing Nick Saban, having been in the college football playoff, the idea of SEC pride. The post says that cheering for Alabama because they're in the SEC is like cheering for Satan because he's in the Bible. Very funny line there that uh, Frankie Fibonacci shares with us. So uh, he gives the hashtag golden shoe. We will give him a golden shoe in return for all of that. Lousy stinking gators. No great recruits to host. Uh, the basketball coach is at Georgia doing in Athens what he couldn't do in Gainesville. A lot of happy days and uh, 1,161 happy days, in fact. That's our Gator Hater update a long time since Florida's beaten Georgia. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger.